All right, welcome back to Ducks Cross the Pond podcast. Uh, today we're joined by the one and only John Cramman, head coach of the GBU 15 team and first baseman for the London Mets. How are you doing, JC? Very good, mate. Good to see you all. How is everyone? Very good. Yeah, well, thanks. Baseball's coming back soon, so can't complain. Amen, amen. How did you get yourself into baseball? Like, tell us a bit like, about your baseball background. I... Um... I was very fortunate. I grew up on Green Lanes, which is the road that runs parallel to the London Mets facility in Finsbury Park. Um, when I was eight years old, I was uh, brought over by a friend to take part in a softball taster session. It was actually run by the music teacher from my primary school. Um, and he, his name is Jeff Ellingham. He used to be a, a uh, BSUK board of directors and he uh, he started a youth program at Finsbury Park for softball players mainly centered around our school um, so I got involved through that um, loved the sport because I was I have I had a condition called club foot when I was born and it means that certain sports I'm just unable to play um, things that involve a lot of running over a long period of time are possible like football and rugby so I uh, found baseball at eight at Finsbury Park and that was it Never got my life back, ever. So at what point did you, you're now a coach and you play, at what point did you realise that coaching was something you wanted to get into and how did you go about making that a reality? Um, really early, really, really early. I think I was the kid on the under 12s team that was giving teammates batting tips that I'd been given by other people. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, I think I was always a, a baseball coach pretty much from day one. It just so happened that I was eight years old and I was given a glove and, and I played. Um, even, even with the Mets at 19, 20, 21 years old, I, would, I, would, I couldn't help myself. And I had, to, I had to give my opinion and try and help people. So I, I don't actually think I ever realised I was a coach. I think it was, I realised I wasn't a player, probably was the, the top and bottom of it. And I love playing baseball. It's, it's my passion. It's my, it's my happy place. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. But I'm very cognizant of the fact that um, if, I could, if my body could do everything that my brain knows, I'd be a lot better than I am. So, yeah, I was always a coach. I was a coach from day one. When you, when you said you were a eight-year-old coaching, it reminded me of that video of that minor league team of that coach that goes <laughs> the field and just throws the bats and all the balls on the field to get ejected. That was me, dude. I when the the London Warriors built the baseball field at Finsbury Park. That's actually a little known fact. A lot of people think the Mets built that field. They didn't. The London Warriors. The rules changed for the NBL in around 2001, 2002, and they said you had to have a youth program to be a part of the NBL. It was a part of the sustainability model, um, and the Warriors didn't have a youth program at the time. So their solution to this was: we'll move to Finsbury Park, and we will envelop what the Mets are doing with their youth program because we didn't have an adult program at the time um, and they built the field. So I, obviously, you guys all know me. I, I was a field rat and I lived opposite the field. So every Sunday I was the bat boy for the London Warriors when I was nine, 10, 11 years old. And even then, guys would come back in the dugout and I'd be like, you're out in front. And they'd be like, who is this 10-year-old <laughs> kid with opinions about my swing? But it was just always there for me. It was just always there for me. Yeah, I think that the, one of the best things is once you become like your own best coach and you understand 
how you play the game and all that sort of stuff. You can, it's very easy to then articulate what you know about the game to other people. And you almost don't realize you becoming a coach as a player until you just sort of are coaching people. And then it's like, well, I'm already doing it. So the hardest player I've ever coached is myself. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest yep. challenge, coaching challenge that's ever, because everybody else, progress happens and for whatever reason I've always struggled to like I said to do everything that I know um, and so it does it really helps when you know I've struggled I know what it's like to be in a slump I know what it's like to not know why you're having success um, and I think sometimes when when you get guys who are just great baseball players their whole lives it's really hard for them to empathize with the player that's that's slumping or that isn't feeling it so yeah, don't get me wrong. I wish that uh, I hadn't had to learn those lessons as a player. I wish that I had been the guy that it all came to, but I'm thankful for it now. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And obviously, with coaching eventually taking you into the GB program uh, over the past few years, um, with no tournament for the uh, U15s this year, what do you see, what is your goal for 2021? Obviously, preparing for next year, 2022. Um, you know, I think we have six national teams, technically. You've got men, men and women's, 23s, 18s, 15s, 12s. Each of them has a different modus operandi, in my opinion, but we all fall yeah. under the banner of what we're trying to do. Mm. With the 15s, in my opinion, it's my job to send Coach Rodriguez players who are ready to compete for him at the 18s level. That's my, that's my opinion. That's at least, that's my first priority. Um, it's also ensuring that they're getting the, the relevant support and love that they need from a coaching staff and uh, us being aware of how we're viewed. Um, I think sometimes, you know, I, I still view myself as the idiot kid that I was. Um, and sometimes I think that the players I'm dealing with see me how I view me, but they don't. They, they, they see me through their own lens. And when I was 14, I was terrified of my coaches. I was terrified of them. Um, so it, it's about sending J-Rod some really good players. And it's about making sure that when they get there, they're happy and healthy and ready to compete. Anything past that is, is a bonus. Um, but I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm never going to be married to the barometer of our successes, wins and losses at the under 15 level, whether that's internationally or not. Um, for me, I won't know if I've done a good job until 15 years from now when I look at the senior national team and see how many of, of the guys I've coached are there. Yeah. Uh, so, carrying on from that, um, where do you see, as you said, in 15 years, you'll see, you may see some of the U15s in the senior team. Where do you see the U15 in five years? Like, the team itself, where do you see that progressing to? I, I think that we have a genuine opportunity to be a A-level, A-pool level team in Europe that um, competes for the ability to play further. Um, mm. I don't, I'm not under any illusions. We are a long way behind where we need to be to be those guys. And I think the worst thing we can do in a nation like ours with the challenges that we face is fall into hyperbole. Um, right. We've made some huge strides over the last 24 months, as all four of you are aware, mm. being members of the program. Ultimately, they're only huge strides because we're so far behind. 
Um, and as we get closer to our opposition and those margins get closer, it's going to become harder and harder to catch. So I want to sit here and say in five years, we're going to be world champions because that's how, my, that's how I'm hardwired. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. So if for me in five years, we are a program at the 15s level that is comparable to the French and the Belgians, um, yeah. And when we play the Czechs and we play the Germans, they feel like they need to throw a two, three, one guy against us. Then, then, then we've done our job because that means J Rod's getting guys who are already at a certain level, and that means when they get to 23s, they're at a certain level. And now we have a, a real pathway for you guys to play in the senior national team. Definitely, I think the the best thing about that is the focus on the process instead. You know, it, it the focus on the process it changes a player's mindset. If, if the program is based on process rather than outcome, you're going to change a player's mindset who's going to go through the system. It's going to be looking to what's next rather than what they have in that situation right now. It, I love that. It's up to us, really, as coaches to not be selfish, I think. Um, it's very easy to say, trust the process, control the controllables. Every program in the world yeah. that's worth its salt says those words. Um, the question is, when you're playing in a big game that you want to win because you're a competitor and something doesn't go right, can you keep that energy? Or do you become the little boy that says, this isn't fair, I want to win? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's up to us as coaches to set that. And then it's up to the players to create that, that accountability for each other. That they all understand that this is a long, this is a long game. You know, um, The team that's won the U12 World Cup the most is Chinese Taipei, but they've never won a senior level World Cup. So mm -hmm. it's clear that we don't need to win games when you're 11. We need to win games when you're 25, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's interesting. No, go ahead, Deacon. I was just going to say that I was about like, the process. I think, uh, I guess like a little, in, a little inside of people that aren't in the program, but uh, it's been very well done especially this off-season, especially at my level anyway, and Jay has done a great job of it, uh, especially we all know we want to win. That That is a main goal. We're going to win, right? But it's the way we've been kept engaged through the process because I know in previous years it's been the tournament. It's a big, big thing. And then it's kind of like, it's kind of like there's not much of a pathway there. Yeah, and I don't, look, I think it's important that we've been very fortunate that the people above us have brought so many people into the program. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, I was just... know, no, I, I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. I, just, I think that we're, we're lucky now that a guy like J-Rod, right, like just for example, the guy meets a, a, a woman from Burnley on the beach in Australia, and that means that he comes here, and if we'd have had any guy of his caliber show up, that would have been super helpful to us. Just happens that it's also J-Rod with his energy and what he does. And it means that yeah. it just lifts everyone. Like I feel like I have to be a better coach being around him and, and it, it, it creates this atmosphere. And I think previous iterations of the national team, because I'm fortunate, I've seen a lot of regimes of national team. I think each way of doing it has its pros and cons that show up in the results. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to what the overall goal is at the top. Like what's the, what's the zenith of the program? Um, 
and, and maybe that zenith has changed in the last two years and that's why the the feeling around everything else has changed you know what i mean no definitely it's, it's fantastic it's so cool to be a part of now um a little bit of a going the other side of the pond uh, looking at mlb a little bit of a, a fun fun one to mix it up um if you could, something I just thought about today came to me. I was just interested to see what you think. If you could jump into the dugout of any MLB team, it's a bit of a two-part question, but if you could jump into the dugout of any MLB team and for one nine-inning game, learn from any, firstly, any coaching stuff, current or past, and then secondly, any roster, just to be amongst the players, from the coach and the player's perspective, what team, what year, who would you love to absorb uh, information whatever whatever it is you want to learn what who are you desperate to learn from that's a very very good question friend um i think the coaching staff i'd want to spend time around is the 2000s um they won four in a row that was their fourth in a row 2000 so i'd, I'd love to spend time around those guys and and see how they managed to control the expectations of being in new york winning three in a row and then playing a Subway series in the World Series. Um, in terms of pressure environments, I'm not, I'm not sure it gets any bigger than that in baseball than, than what they had to control. So um, I definitely like to spend time with that coaching staff, Joe Torrey and Dave Rigetti, and, and be around them during that because what they did was incredible. In terms of a team, um, the Cincinnati Reds of the mid-70s, the big red machine, um, are a real benchmark for me in terms of accountability and being teammates. There's a book written by Joe Ponsnanski about them that I've read that uh, really delves into the relationships that they had with each other. And those guys were brutal, right? They, they took the prisoners and they really held each other to a really high level of accountability. Um, so I'd love to, as a player, I'd love to have existed in that environment where you're expected to be excellent. And if you make a mistake, Pete Rose or Johnny Bench is telling you about it, or Joe Morgan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think as a coach, the 2000 Yankees and as a player, probably the 75 Reds, just because they had that World Series against the Red Sox. Uh, that's uh, a very impressive uh, baseball knowledge just off the bat right there. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I didn't know who I was going to... I've known about it for hours, that question. I don't have an answer yet. So uh, no, it was really cool. I mean, I'm lucky. Baseball is one of the few things that sticks in my brain. Um, at school, I couldn't remember a thing, but if you told me <laughs> Jay Bueller's OPS from 1988, it's stuck. It's just, I don't know, it's just the way it is. It's, it's easy to remember something you love, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of things you love, what is, what, as a player or a coach, obviously you've, uh, you've been a coach for GB for a year now, right? Uh, yeah, 2019. Yeah, a couple of years. You just, oh my God, that, that yeah. feels so weird. It's 20, 2019 was your first year as GB coach, right? Yeah. And <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So what is your favorite GB baseball moment? Obviously, as a, we'll, we'll say two different moments. Say one as a coach, one as a player. Yeah, I will. Uh, you know, whether you said I could or not, I was going to give you one as a coach, mm, one as a player, because nice. I've got, I've got a lot. I've been lucky. Um, yeah. As a coach, you know, I'm going to cheat again. As a coach, I'm going to give you two, just because that's what I want to do. Um, Why not? 
2019 was a special year for our program and we were all involved in that. That was, that was an amazing summer. I think two things from 2019 really stick out in my head. One was funnily enough, me and Aiden going for a walk in uh, Sunderberg in Sweden at the end of our people tournament um, and just having a chat and looking at the field. One of those really special moments that baseball brings you. Um, and then I, I can't not talk about Paul Kirkpatrick throwing a CG against the Dutch and us beating them 2-1. Um, especially it was a big day for me on a personal level. So the GB coaching career is young and I feel extremely honoured that I'm able to talk about two very special things to me considering I've only actually coached 13 or 14 games for GB. Um, as a player, I probably, I'd have to say my I got picked for the senior national team in 2013 uh, for the people we had to qualify that year. Um, the first baseman on that team was Ian Young. Ian Young was a six foot six Australian that hit balls that haven't landed yet. Um, so I very much got to that tournament and realized my job is to clean Ian's cleats and carry the bags, right? Be a good rookie. Um, and we had a very, I'll call it a veteran team. And when you were being a rookie back then was tough. Um, didn't really play, didn't really feel like I was a senior. I, you know what I mean? I, I was a kid. Mm -hmm. The following year, we, we win the tournament. The following year, I get picked for the April in Germany. Um, Ian gets injured. He gets sciatica two weeks before the tournament. So I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm going to play a little bit. A week before that, Brett Rosen gets sciatica. So now we've got one less option for my position. Gary Davison gets a promotion at work. And we get to Germany and I'm the starting first baseman in the April. And I can't, you know, it was, it was nuts. I, I was a guy who my first GB trip was in 2003 to Moscow with the under 12s. Um, and I played three innings and for an 11 year old who'd never left the country to go two and a half thousand miles to play in a baseball tournament, play three innings was a horrible, horrible experience. Um, I never started for the 15s. I was always a bench player. Um, with the 18s, I was a guy who was in and out of lineups depending on matchups. Um, so my last year in the 18s, I played well, every game in the tournament except the final, which had always left a sour taste in my mouth. With the Lions, I was like a leader, but I hit seven, right? I wasn't one of the guys that drove us. So to be, to be in that situation as the starting first baseman for GB was unreal. I couldn't believe it. Um, so yeah, just that moment of sort of standing there looking at the lineup card and seeing batting eight, Jay Crammon is sort of burned onto my retinas. It's forever immortalized in my brain. Love it. Yeah. I think we, we all- that, we... When you first like- No, go on, Deacon, go on, Deacon. Sorry. Oh my bad, my internet cut out, so I didn't- Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say that you said the moment about seeing your name on the lineup card. That's what I had, I had like a mini, it was like a mini built-up version of your your thing when I was in Switzerland. It was my first GB tournament. I only played like three innings, and we played like five or six games or something. But I like every night, obviously, you know, mainly you post the line the lineup card, and we'd always go check. I'd be like, oh, I I really want to be on like this one. And then on the last day of our like regular like our regular games, I was there. I was starting. I was I, I was so excited just. Even I didn't played yet. I didn't really care if I was going to play more than one inning. 
but it was just like the fact that I could see like my name was there and I was gonna I was gonna be one of the ones you know, I called out on the like my individual name called out on the thing run up the lineup thing it just made me feel really good it's a special feeling it's a really I, I, I try to get it across to, to people who are outside of the program, but it is a really, really special feeling. Whether you're patriotic or not, and, and whether you grew up here or not, yeah. and, and even though only 0.05% of them know we exist, um, I was always super aware of the fact that we're representing millions and millions and millions of people. Um, and it's a super, super special moment. So to be able to get to the top of what we had, especially coming from someone who'd never... I worked as hard as I could, but I never thought I'd actually attain it. Um, yeah, nuts. Couldn't believe it. And, and then got super lucky because the first ground ball was to Richard Klein at second base, who I'd played with in Holland when I was 14. Uh, hmm. So it was like, ah, oh, okay, this is just baseball. It's no different. It's just Klein throwing you the ball, right? It's just it's a little bit faster at this level. Was that your first tournament, Deacon? Or did you play for the U12s before? They didn't have U12s when I... When I started, that was my first one. That was, yeah, yeah. Good trip. Yeah, it was a good trip. Apart from me, I think. Huh? Know a lot about. Yeah. Don't, yeah. We don't need to talk about that no, one. We don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, all right. So obviously, you are a long-time Mets Mets player, as you said. Um, and this year, uh, the Mets have a new manager, Rich Minford. Um. And a couple of new faces in the lineup. So, where do you see this season going for the Mets? Um, I think that's interesting. With the Mets, we have kind of worked ourselves into a position where every year we're going to be there or thereabouts between the youth program and then between our ability to recruit because of where we are. You know, we're in zone two, Greater London. You can be in the office in Oxford Circus, leave it and be on the field in 30 minutes, which is just, it's an amazing recruiting tool. So we're always going to be there or thereabouts. I think there'll be differing years of talent. Um, in 2019, we had an overabundance of talent. It was ridiculous. 2020 was a slightly more transformative year. I think with the way things are looking right now, if we had to play a baseball game tomorrow, um, I'm extremely, extremely confident. And I think we, we kind of have two seasons, the Mets because we have the NBL and we also have the CB qualifier. And you have to, in your head, you have to run them in two different streams of thinking. Um, this year, I'm, I'm confident about the CB, CB tournament. Uh, but at the same time, we are cognizant of the fact that you only get there if you're a champion. And it doesn't matter what league you win, whether it's the, the, the Spanish league or the Swedish league or the Finnish league or the Estonian league you have to know how to win baseball games to get to that tournament um, and talent isn't enough. So confident always, uh, but aware that, you know, we have a target on our back every time we take the field and, and we have to make sure that we work super hard uh, to, so that nobody can come and take it from us. Nice. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's part of, of Aiden, course you will agree. Aiden, Aiden can yeah. attest to this. It's a part of our team talks, right? Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you guys the insight. But it's very often that you'll hear me 10 minutes before a game saying, the night before guys play the Mets, they go to bed early. Right? And I, I've been told this by guys like, hey, if I'm playing a certain team, I'm going out on Saturday night having a good time. We're playing the Mets. I'm, I'm having dinner, getting a shower, watching match of the day and going to sleep. 
Um, and we have to be aware of that. We know that if we rock up 80%, we're going to get beat and that's going to suck. So confident, but the work never stops. Never confident enough. Yeah, it's an interesting one, I think. I mean, I know Matt and Deacon, you guys have played. Deacon, have you played NBL before last season? I played three years in the NBL, I think. All right, okay, yeah. So there's you guys have had exposure to the NBL and the Mets before. But I, I mean, from... For me, coming down, I think I, I knew a little bit about the NBL, but it was the London series, uh, the the Yankees, the the link there, and that was really well publicised. So I, I called into that, and then when I was coming down, and J Rod mentioned there was an opportunity to play in the NBL and what on YouTube, whatever. Then straight away, there's no. It was you know I want you want to face you guys because you're you would if you didn't you wouldn't have made I wouldn't have made the journey if it wasn't to face the best competition you that there is mm-hmm. so it was i actually i mean i wished and i mean there's nothing against um you know anyone we faced on the mats but i was dreaming of facing rich memford because you want to you, you're like great let, let's test that you, you want to test yourself absolutely so there's no at bat that you're more personally motivated for because it's like well you know, this is my measure. I'm going to see where, where, I, where I'm at when you're put against the best competition that's there. So yeah, I mean, I some of the some of the funnest nights, the funnest days of the year for us as a, as a team, are Thursday nights at Finsbury Park. We do live at bats. So the guys that didn't pitch enough on Sunday, the previous Sunday, throw to our hitters on Thursday, um, and that's that's like the gauntlet. That's that's the super fun stuff when you've got Minford trying to strike out Stroman and Stroman's trying to hit it 450 um, in a public park in North London and people are walking their dogs. It's, it's pretty fun. Mm. This is usually when like a few hundred pounds of bats break. Uh, man, listen, Rich Minford has probably been responsible for about 1,500 pounds worth of timber in the United Kingdom over his three seasons. Um, yeah. he's certainly he's broken two of my bats and my thumb so wouldn't you say <laughs> at least, uh, least 400 pounds of that is Freddie's bats <laughs> hey listen Freddie and Rory Chandler I'm going to put them on blast those dudes are responsible for some conservation issues uh, <laughs> they, they need to clean it up and find a barrel against him one time I remember the first time I faced Rich it was a, they when they did the NBL All-Star like game stuff um, oh yeah, where GB played NBL All Stars. Yeah, I don't. Mm. Oh no, it wasn't. It was in the final. It was in the final uh, of the NBL. Uh, and I was. Was that in. for Hearts? Yeah, and we we got creamed, but it was my first time facing him. And obviously, at that point, I think he was throwing like eighty three, four ish, and I was fifteen, I think. So that was that was the first time me even seeing like probably above like seventy five, and so. I remember the the first fastball that actually touched my bat. I checked swing because it was up and in, and it came off my bat faster than I've ever hit a ball properly. <laughs> <laughs> I like checked swing, and it went <laughs> straight off foul into the fence. I was like, "Oh my god!" And then he threw a slider, but it slipped out and almost hit me in the head. I was so I was so like jittery because I was facing. I literally did like a full like backwards roll to get out of the way of it. I just covered myself. Survival in instincts. Yeah, and then just and just struck out. It's good, uh, man. I mean, I, I, I think back when I joined the NBL in 2007, 
there were four teams that each had two starters that sat above 80 miles an hour. Um, and I was subjected to, I, I just basically, I had my offensive world ruined for two years. When I first, 16 and 17, I had no shot. My first at-bat in the NBA was against Cody Kane. And he threw me a fastball at the knees, mid-eights, fastball at the belt, mid-eights, fastball at the chest, mid-eights. I swung and missed at all three. He told me to sit down. And I had this like, oh, I thought I was good. Uh, you know, I dominate ponyball in Britain and I, I'm not good at all. Um, so I get frustrated sometimes that it isn't like that now for you guys. That's what I want to do this season. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about the other day. If anyone like throws a sword on a striker or something, I'm just going to holster it. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I'm just like it's... It, I just I just feel like there need there needs to be more like actual like competition in the NBL. You trying to be the Trevor Bauer of the NBL, huh? <laughs> no. No, it's, I, think uh, it, I think it's more about having fun and stuff. Like, well, I, I will say the Mets really appreciated the way the legends came after us last year. Like, we loved it because it happens a lot where we rock up and we score six in the first and the other team quits. Mm. And you're like, God, it's, it's 12.45. I'm going to be here till 6 p.m. And, and nobody wants to be here. These guys have quit. And it yeah. was nice. It was nice to play against a team that took a bit of a don't care who they are attitude it was awesome we enjoyed yeah. it and um i hope it can continue i know that j-rod's gonna keep us on our toes and we're glad for it personally we're, we're very oh, glad yeah. for it yeah i mean it, it comes back to what you mentioned about the the mentality that you're trying to instill in the under 15s the kind of long-term thinking that we i mean and we matt and deacon and i know like our first few weekends were the essex game the one before we won our first game. Yeah, was the one, the one where we had, we had like I hate to think. no on deck hitters or anything. Like, it was we, we forgot awful. how to play baseball for a day. Um, the mentality was all over the shop. But then the way J Rod got us thinking, you know, that, that you're, yeah, that, but that's over, but it's a long, you know, try and take yeah. a positive. Um, and it's the long game. And that when we then faced, we then beat the Capitals and then had you guys the next week. And that, you know, you're playing for the long run. We, yeah, we know coming up against you guys, we're probably not going to win. But the the effort and the, and that's why I guess, Deacon, you came out of the game with the lead because we were bu buzzing. <laughs> Genuinely. The only like, way you are going to win feeling. a game, the only way you are going to win a game, whether you have a talent level or not, is if you believe you are. Right? That's That's the first step. That's... If you don't have that, everything else is kind of pointless. Um, and that that showed that showed in the way you played, um, and that's super, super, super important for, for long term development of, of the game in this country. Not just so that you guys can get better, but so that you know in ten years we can hopefully get to a point where it isn't me and Jamie Dix and Sam Sprawl as the guys who've come up and joined coaching staffs. There's fifteen of us or twenty of us. And we can create a real culture. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I can attest that I realized a couple of days ago, I'm about to do my 15th MBL opening day. And it's gone like that. It's, it's flown. Um, so, you know, with you guys, it won't be long before you turn around and you're a couple of years deep into the league and you're, you're one of the, you as talented or better than us, you know? So 
believe it or not, I'm on my fifth. I know you are. And if we count, if we count when Aiden used to hang around our dugout asking questions when he was <laughs> well, it's his sixth or seventh. Yeah. yeah. One six. And I think like going on with what Kramer said about like the effort for you guys and like the new team, I think not only probably us, but like as a whole, like Mets team, we saw it when we were looking at the um the score sheet for when you guys beat the Capitals. It was like, it was interesting. It was it was nice to see that like somebody actually like went out with effort and beat somebody else. That wasn't, you know. Yeah, I, I, was that? I, gave up, I gave up like three or three in like the first and then like one in the second and then I didn't give up anything else the rest of the game. Oh, it's... <laughs> but like, yeah, I know there was a different effort level and like everyone was on it that day. Um, like we, I think we were down after the second inning or something, or we were tied, but we still kept going, and that's what. I mean, I'm going to be honest. We know everyone's going to show up fired up mm-hmm. to play us, so we're 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 aware of the fact, and I'm certainly aware of being around it as long as I have. If we can break a team early, brilliant. Now we can. Mm-hmm. Now we don't have to worry about stressful innings. Um, and the majority, you know, I'm not going to mess around. The majority of the time, we're able to break teams early, um, kind of break their will a little bit. Um, and then you go to Europe, and it doesn't matter that you're up seven-two. These guys are the champions of where they're from, and they're proud, and they're going to come back and beat you. So this is what I mean, guys. Like you know, the the, the effort you guys put forward last year, and the effort I'm sure we're going to see this year, it helps us. It makes us better baseball players to go to the seams and try and compete. So I'm fired up by it. Um, it's mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think the, the best compliment that we had was when uh, Rich came in middle inning. I can't remember what was the first time we played you guys. That, yeah, that was, that was the I game think that was uh, the turning we were, point where we went ahead. To me, anyway, uh, yeah. Spotting that, that, you know, that, you know, it was yeah, uh, kind of... <laughs> A reality check, yeah. That like yeah. you know, we and also maybe we a turning point for us that we kind of we were being taken seriously for what we can do as well. It made us believe extra in ourselves. So mm. that's yeah, great fun. So BBF and GB aside, back to MLB. What do you think's more likely for the twenty twenty one season? Do you think it's more likely that? You know, Bryce Harper or somebody else on the team is going to win an MVP, or the Phillies bullpen will have a under four. Oh boy! Um, I'll say this off the bat: Oof. if there was an option C that said neither, <laughs> for that, uh, I'm going to say the bullpen though. Um, nothing to do with the moves we've made or the arms we've got. Uh, I just look at Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis and think nobody besides those dudes are winning MVPs in the NL. Cody Bellinger for the next 10 years. So yeah. I think Bryce could go ahead and have a fantastic nearly career year and still not win the MVP this year. Um, so I'll say the bullpen. Okay. All right. Well, we have made it to the bit everyone loves the quiz nice um so it's a classic home away quiz 
there's 10 questions. For each one, I'll ask you if you want home or away. If you go for home, you get it right, you get one point. If you go for away, you get it right, you get two points. So you could get out of 20. Um, so, yeah, just try and get as many as you can, right? Who's uh, in the lead right now? What's the lead right now? I need to know. Oh, well, we you'll, you'll like this. Yeah. <laughs> you have two tied for the lead. We have Drew and John Hall Walsh. At numbers. I need numbers, guys. Oh, 12. 12. Right, 12, yeah. All right, let's do this. I, I got a bit worried after you started. Just you know the lower score that you want to beat? All that matters is first. All the this is okay. this is a genuine, genuine contender territory here. I think. All right, here we, new highs. here we go. Number one, home or away? Let's go home. I'll ease in. Uh, you'll get this one right. I'm pretty sure. What is the Phillies mascot called? Oh, the Philly fanatic, the best. Nice, the best. Starting off strong with a point. All right, number two. I'll go away because that one was super easy. All right. True or false, Sammy Sosa is the second second under Barry Bonds in the single-season home runs. False. It's Mark Maguire. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's on. Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly what I thought. I, this I is going to be dangerous. I can't told me, but I remember now someone telling you, me you have a baseball brain. Yeah, I might, I might go ahead and get 39 <laughs> points here, John, just so you're aware. <laughs> <laughs> I right. might ruin this segment forever. <laughs> Number, three. <laughs> Number three, home or away? Away, let's do it. When was the last time the Tigers won a World Series? 1984. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 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 Here what we go. San Diego right. Padres they beat, I think. Oh, we messed it. To- <laughs> this is going to go that's straight not, in the bin. Can score <laughs> you lot got the wrong one. Right. <laughs> Number four, away. Um, whose retired number is 11 for the Mariners? Is it Jay Buner? No, it's Edgar Martinez. Ooh, oh. is... What a hitter. What a guy. But the 1984 World Series was lost by the San Diego Padres, so there we go. Yeah, I thought so. The Tigers, interesting, Jesus. the Tigers started that year 35 and 5. Jeez. My God. That's a pretty good start. Everybody loves useless facts. Chairman will tell you any useless facts about baseball. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this, this isn't, isn't just baseball, to be fair. This is a segue, but my fiance has a thing called Kremlin facts. So <laughs> I'll tell her something about like Azerbaijan. She'll be like, oh, Kremlin fact number 630. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Or, as, uh, good story. Pardon? As Tucker would say, good story. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, away, please, Deke. Away. Who, who threw the last... Oh. I didn't hear you. I, I think try that one again, Deacon. All right. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Who threw the last no-hitter for the Braves? Steve Avery? No. It is Kent Merker. I think that's his second name. Kent Merker, though. I did not know that one. You get some really rogue. No that was in, I think it was 1994 he did it, or eight. One of them. Right. <laughs> now I know. Uh, away, please. Away. Who is the Rangers' all-time home run leader? Ooh, the Rangers. Uh, 
I don't think A Rod was there long enough. And I reckon like, Palmero hit a lot there. So did Juan Gonzalez. I'm going to say Rafael Palmero. Oh, you said his name under your breath. Was well. it Juan Gonzalez? Yeah. Oh. Dione, what, what, what's the scores? He's on five. With Ooh. four left. Four left. Okay. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah, you're gonna. You can. There's 13 possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Away. Let's do it. All right. Has Mike Trout won a Gold Glove? This feels like. That's not, yes. I won't say. I won't say. I won't say. Well, yes. I didn't hear the answer. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, he has not. Wow. Is it, wait, wait. Is is it because he's won a platinum glove or? No, no, no. no he, okay. he hasn't won it because Kevin Kiermaier beats him every time, pretty much. Oh, oh yeah. yeah I, I had thought that he would get the old offensive boost on the on the goal. Oh yeah. Um, I remember there was one year back in the late nineties where I think again Rafael Palmeiro played like eleven games at first base and won the Gold Glove. Played the rest of the season at DH. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you want away again for number Away, eight? let's go. When did Camden Yards open? 2003? 1992. Uh, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. I know a funny story about Camden Yards that is not podcastable. So when we finish recording, ask me about my Camden Yards story. Okay. Uh, number nine? Away. Who's the Yankees' all-time strikeout leader? As a pitcher, not as a hitter. As a pitcher, yeah, as a pitcher. Uh, I'm going to say Don Larson. Is Andy Pettit? Yeah. Oh. I thought his time. I thought his time away at Houston would have, would have hurt him, but apparently not. All right, I'm guessing away for the last. Yeah, one. this is this is this is not going well to be honest. Who is, the Cubs, <laughs> who is the Cubs' biggest rival team? The St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, sir. Yeah, nice. seven. Not good enough. I'm going to have to do some wind sprints after this. <laughs> <laughs> you you have you have because now we'll go and do. Oh the yeah, opposite. go back through it. So I'll answer. I'll ask you the question. You didn't. Uh, I'm pretty sure you went. Away for everything but the first. This is yeah, gonna yeah. do a Phillies quiz. Yeah, this right, is yeah. so number one is the away one. What is the name of the Astros mascot? Ah, I, I don't know. Trash can. Orbit. <laughs> Orbit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, next. No, the rest of them just Phillies quiz. All right, true or false? The Phillies are the team with the longest, uh, with longest time having the same name. Uh... The, I, so, we, we might have an argument in a second. False. I have true. Okay. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> We're gonna have an argument now because so I, this is this is cram and facts, right? Uh, I've got the history of the Phillies in my bookshelf in the other room, and I, I'm absolutely <laughs> certain that in the fifties, I think fifty-five or fifty-six, they rebranded themselves as the Blue Jays for the first three weeks of the season. And the fans hated it, and they changed back to the Phillies. So I'm going to say uh, I want a Marshall's conference on that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it taken under review. Uh, Go to VAR. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't counted anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm just too competitive. I'm sorry. It's fine. Uh, when was the Phillies' last World Series win? 2008. Yep. 
Uh, whose retired number is 34? Probably gets one. Roy Halliday. Yep. Uh, and then who threw the last no hitter for the Phillies? Cole Hamels. Yep. Nice. Uh, who's the Phillies all time home run leader? Mike Schmidt. Yep. Has Bryce Harper won a gold glove? Nope. No, he hasn't. Uh, when did Citizen Bank Park open? 2003. 2004. Furious. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Who is the all time Phillies strikeout leader for like, pitching? Steve Carlton. Yeah. And who's the biggest, the Phillies biggest <laughs> team? The New York Mets. Yes. Jeez. Furious, furious, furious. But how many would that have got? Six, seven? Seven. Seven. So may, may as well have gone away. Yeah. Would have got eight if you said 2004. <laughs> that's, like, that's like saying Thanks, rub, it in, rub it in. Rub it in. <laughs> if, you, if you'd have got more answers right, you'd have got more points. That's yeah. how it <laughs> works. Proper catch. That's a proper catch's outlook. Fantastic. <laughs> You just throw more strikes, would have won the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Kraman, have you got anything to plug, like your social media? Uh, I, I, yes, I do have something to plug. It's a little bit serious, but I do have something to plug. Um, as I'm sure all four of you know, and as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, uh, unfortunately, my mother passed away about seven weeks ago. Um, her name's Tanya. She was pretty much the founder of the London Mets Youth Baseball Programme. Um, I had a lot of thoughts over the last couple of months about how we can how we can create some legacy for what she did, and and I'm cognizant of the fact that we already have legacy on the field every every day. Um, and I, I will say to each four of you, I've coached all four of you in different guises, so you've all been coached by my mum, right? Yeah. Um, so we have been able to put together, and I'm really excited, and I'm glad that I get to do it on here with you guys. We've been able to put together a scholarship fund in mum's name. Um, so what we are going to do is for children from a similar socioeconomic background to, to what I had, um, who are unable to afford equipment mainly, because as all four of you, and I'm sure more pertinently all four of your parents know, uh, it's a very, very expensive game we play. And I know that there are children out here who find the cost of our game prohibitive. So we haven't, completely set it up yet it hasn't gone live yet and i don't have any links right now i wanted to get the message out that that program is going to be out there it's going to be called the tanya Kraman scholarship fund um, and once it goes live we'll be taking applications for for children to buy them equipment every season it's incredible that's amazing Good. it's and, and hey i have to say that i can't take any credit for it because I have not really been in the headspace to think about things like that over the last mm. seven weeks. But um, Drew Spencer and Rich Minford, who obviously are my colleagues and teammates, but also I'm very lucky they're my brothers and my friends. Um, they kind of have put the meat and potatoes of this idea together and, and handed it to me. So I have to mm -hmm. give them their props. Um, and I'm, I'm personally very excited about the opportunity to, to help out other potential Jonathan Crammons and Sam Spools that are out there. So, love it. Yeah. Thank you, gents. No problem. That's, no problem. that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Great way to end it. <laughs>